Media presentation. Hello, Mike DeCourcy. Hey, it's Ryan Lindsay. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? It's been a long time. Yeah. Hello, world. My name is Ryan Lindsay, and this is my podcast, Self Quarantine, a pandemic podcast that can be enjoyed from a social distance. You probably have no idea who I am. I'm usually the guy behind the guy or woman that is speaking on the microphone. It took a pandemic for me to get out there and start my own podcast. So why now? Desperation and necessity, actually. Before the COVID-19, I had two paying clients and was working on two original programs for my company, Fusha Media. Now, no one wants to do one-on-one interviews for my documentary I was working on and my other show, which was being recorded from my new studio that's in the spare room of my not-so-big house. No one wants to come over because of self-quarantine. So I figured I can't let this once-in-a-generation event dictate and shape my present and my future. I still have control of me and what is in my house which is a studio, a microphone, and equipment. So I decided to take a chance on myself again, and decided to do this. What is this? Well, with the hope of ordering online, YouTube, and my smartphone, I am kicking it old school and calling people. Not texting or using video. Why not video, you say? Data. Data and video. A lot of people are using Zoom these days. It takes a lot of data. And if you notice... Some Actually, some other podcasts are doing this. You notice that sometimes the sound cuts out, which for a medium that is just audio is not good. Cell phones are not landlines, which are the best, but it takes less data than video. So usually, cell phone calls are pretty stable. And if you're able to hook up via Wi-Fi, they're even better. So who am I calling? My history, actually. For almost 20 years, my job was to book sports and pop culture personalities on sports radio shows that I produced. So I'm reaching out to old friends and regular guests, plus some new ones as well. We are all in this together, so we might as well try and make the best of it. And I hope I help a little with this. Just some background about me. I'm from the state of Washington. Went to Washington State University. Go Cougs. I root for all Seattle pro sports teams. Not the University of Washington, since I went to Washington State University. Currently, I live in the area. I worked in Las Vegas, Portland, Phoenix, and did two stints in national radio, one including ESPN Radio back in Bristol, Connecticut. We all have perspectives about sports and life that can be perceived as biases. This is my perspective on things, just like how Bill Simmons refers to Boston sports and Boston-centric things. And Scott Van Pelt from ESPN refers to Maryland and the district. So I'm going to be referring to Seattle and some of the other cities and areas that I've worked at. So if you'd like to keep up with the pod, you can always follow us. Instagram is at selfquarantinepod. Twitter is squarantinepod. And that is S-Q-U-A-R-A-N-T-I-N-D-Pod. All one word. Or you can also email me, ryan at fushamedia.com. The guest for my first podcast is someone that actually came to mind when I was thinking about the concept of this podcast. People in sports who are like the rest of us who are self-quarantined and not able to actually work to cover a sport that actually is not actually doing anything. We're all self-quarantined, so there is no sports. 
Mike DeCourcy is a longtime basketball insider. He works for the Sporting News, Fox Sports, and the Big Ten Network. This time of year, he's usually on the road for the entire month of March for the NCAA basketball tournament. For the first time in his long, illustrious career, he is home, just like the rest of us, and he's learning how to binge-watch shows, which you'll hear about, and also staying a lot busier than he thought he would be. So here's my conversation with longtime guest of mine, Mike DeCourcy. I, I was on air in the one day that existed of the 2020 Big Ten tournament. I was on air at BTN, Big Ten Network, uh, with uh, uh, the great John Beeline and, and, and oh, Tim yeah. Miles, one of the most affable college basketball coaches and bright and funny you'll meet, and, and the great Dave Revson, who just does an amazing job of hosting. And I was with them on Wednesday night at the Big Ten tournament, got in a plane the following morning, flew back to Indianapolis, got in my car, drove to Bankers Life Fieldhouse, basically just set my stuff in the press room uh, for later on. And, and so, so my bag and coat had a place to be, carried my laptop out to press row. And, and as I was going out, the Rutgers players were coming in. Rutgers was scheduled to play Michigan in a noon tip, and we all knew at the time that there were not going to be any fans in the stands. And Rutgers players came off the court, and one of them, Jacob Young, a, a junior guard, sort of elbowed or forearmed. I think it was like one of those stand-up signs that say, don't take any drinks past here or something <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really how this year's March Madness began for me. Yeah. Wow. It was weird because, you know, it was it was one of those things where you, know, you kind of pay attention to the news and you see things escalating. And then it was it seemed like it, it took it took like two seconds to get from, you know, you hear the Warriors weren't going to uh, they weren't going to have fans. And then it just from there, it just accelerated to Rudy Gobert has coronavirus. Uh, we're shutting everything down. And then, you know, and then I see, you know, people probably like yourself. And I saw Jay Bills came out and said, how can, you know, if the NBA shutting down, how can NC, how can the, how can the NCAA uh, have a tournament? <laughs> and, and then, you know, and then I, and then you, you, and then it, it, it went from that, it went from zero to a thousand in like two seconds. It was amazing. And what was really odd about it, I mean, it, it, this wasn't, this wasn't all just sports people trying to sports on. I mean. <laughs> Dr. Fauci uh, was in front of Congress or the Senate on that Wednesday, I believe it was. It could have been Tuesday, Mm -hmm. but it was that week where he first recommended the possibility of playing NBA games in empty arenas, and which which would obviously probably then be uh, extrapolated to uh, NHL arenas, Mm -hmm. college arenas, Mm -hmm. MLS, uh, the whole the whole thing, and and so this was like the this was the same week. So it wasn't like we were all out there just being ignorant and foolish and and carefree. This was the guy who's basically setting policy now, uh, saying empty arenas. So yeah. a lot of people thought, okay, you know, I mean, it'll stink to not have fans in the stands, but the games will be able to be played and people, you know, the, uh, people will have something to watch on television, etc. Mm-hmm. And then when Gobert got sick then everything changed. Yeah. And, and, and I think in the end it was for the best 
not for Rudy and not for the people that became but I mean in terms of yeah. the general attitude mm-hmm. it's been for the best because clearly this thing is moving rapidly and it, it social distancing is what they are recommending the experts are recommending to stop it and although there would have been a level of social distancing if teams were continuing to play in empty arenas there obviously would be a level of intimacy as well, if you want to call it that, a level of contact from the players uh, amongst each other on the on the field of play. How can uh, there not the, be? The prox- yeah, I mean, so yeah. all those things would have continued to go on. And like I said, I, it, it, it was as recently as two and a half weeks ago, before we stopped playing all the games, that Dr. Fauci was saying, well, yeah, you know, the games could – Basically, in so many words, the games could probably keep going, but you're need to, not going to be able to have any fans in the stands. And that changed in less than 48 hours. It, it was astonishing to see how rapidly it did change. And it, I, you know, I'm, I'm eager to get it back. Uh, sports are a very important part of my life, both professionally yeah. <laughs> and personally. Uh, but I'm not, but I'm not over eager to get it back. I want it to return when it's the right time, and I want the right time to arrive tomorrow. I know that's not going to happen. Yeah. But I want it to arrive as soon as possible. And yeah, I, I, I mean, getting sports back is not the most important thing in that. But much as it was a signal that things had to change to to stop it. When we can get sports back will be a signal that things are better. Yeah. So I think that that's – I think those those things are really interconnected. Yeah, I, I agree. You talked earlier about Rutgers. I mean, there's there's so many teams out there, if you look at the tournament, ter- teams that were you know pretty much going to make the tournament, that Rutgers hasn't been in the tournament for like 30-some years. And, uh, yeah. you know, and you have like you know, the Penn States of the world and you had – you know, you're close to, to Dayton, and, and I can't imagine what those teams and fan bases uh, are going through that, you know, this was this was taken away from them. And then you had teams like North Carolina that had basically been to the tournament every year, and, and they weren't going to make it, and they kind of get a pass. It's just weird, the whole thing. You know, if you were going to rank the teams you feel the worst for, uh, not getting to play in March, I think those would be the two that would be at the top of the Rutgers charts. Rutgers and Dayton. Rutgers, yeah. Rutgers and Dayton. Rutgers mm-hmm. in the ni- last NCAA tournament appearance was 1991. There's no other major conference team with that long a gap, yeah. I believe. And so I, I feel terrible for the Scarlet Knights because they were they went into the final week of the regular season at nine and nine in the Big Ten conference, which was toughest an conference. incredibly deep year. Yeah, yeah, toughest conference in college basketball this year. Yeah. Absolutely. So maybe the deepest any conference has ever been. Amazing, yeah. And and so they go in at nine and nine, and the people like me who I do I do bracket anal- analysis for Fox, and the people like me were thinking, you know, no road, no major road wins at this point. Uh, you know, that's a big that's a big mark against them, and they didn't have any neutral big neutral wins either because they didn't play in a tournament. About the only big neutral game they played was they played in in, a, in an event the Big Ten Network does called Super Saturday, where they play uh, multiple sports at Madison Square Garden. And usually it's basketball and hockey. This year it was basketball and wrestling. And so they played Michigan there and lost to the to the Wolverines. And so they went into that last week with a, a home game against Maryland, one of the top ten teams in the country, and a road game at Purdue, which 
had destroyed, and I mean destroyed, Iowa, Michigan State, and and Virginia, all top 25 teams on their on on the floor at Mackey Arena. So Rutgers goes into that last week with those two games, and you're thinking, well, man, if they can split them, maybe they make it, and and it, it's going to be hard to even get one, and they got both. I mean, they beat Maryland, they won at uh, at Purdue, and they felt like okay we've got this now and and now it's just a question of can we play our way to to absolute certainty uh and maybe to a higher seed and of course they never got to play yeah. and then you look at and and, and and you have to understand Rutgers has had not only have they not been in the tournament since 91 in that 28 seasons prior to this one prior to them finishing 11 and 9 in the big 10 they had not had one winning conference record one time, not one time, did they finish over 500 in a league in 28 seasons. And this year they break that, uh, you know, in in the deepest league in that happened in that period. And it, it just was a remarkable performance. And they, of course, uh, you know, don't get to go. And then Dayton puts together a perfect Atlantic 10 season, uh, you know, absolutely dominant, only loses twice all year, once to Colorado, once to Kansas, the number one team in the nation, and and they they basically had put together one of the greatest seasons in the history of their conference. Their conference, the Atlantic Ten, has been around since I was in high school. Uh, that it started in the 1970s, and I've been very aware of it because when it started, there were two teams from my town, Pittsburgh, that were in the league, Duquesne and Pitt, and Duquesne still is a member, and I covered the Atlantic Ten my first big college basketball beat covering Duquesne in the Atlantic 10 in 87, 88 and mm-hmm. 88, 89. And so I was there in its 87, 88 when Temple uh, had, had uh, John Chaney as coach, Tim Perry, uh, Nate Blackwell and, and the great Mark Macon. And they, they were just an absolutely dominant team. Number one, a lot of the year. And they and they ended up in the Elite Eight. Then there was the UMass '96 team that made the Final Four. Then there was the St. Joe's '04 team that went undefeated in the regular season, made the Elite Eight. And Dayton was in that group. They they were one of the four greatest teams in the history of that conference. And all the others had had great success in the tournament. Yeah. All the other elite Atlantic Ten overachievers. And this team, I think, would have had a similar performance. Whether it went all the way to the title game or, or the final four, they were going to do well. They were going to, they were going to advance in the NCAA tournament. They were really special. And of course that's another team that didn't get the chance to go. And both what both teams have in common uh, is really passionate fan support. I mean, Rutgers has dwindled at times over the years because the team were so bad, but when they've been good, they packed the, the, the arena, they call the rack and and do and just make it a very difficult place to play and the Dayton fans are the most loyal in all of college basketball it, it, when i covered the great midwest in the early 90s it's a blast from the played, past the great yes, midwest <laughs> yes yeah. they play, i i was covering memphis in 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 the 94 95 season dayton won 6 games that year total 6 games not league games 6 games period <laughs> And that year, there were like a, when when we when uh, when I went up with the Tigers to to UD Arena, there were about eleven five, maybe eleven eight, uh, in a thirteen thousand seat building for wow. a six win team, yeah. and and a team that was following up on a four win season. I mean, those people did not leave. 
They they believe in their team, well, and now they yeah. were being rewarded with you know they they played in the title game in '67. So I don't know whether you can call this the greatest season that they that they would have had, but they, they good they chance won it. Yeah, they could have won it. Yeah, they were good enough to yeah. win it. They had they had the so, players. Yeah. What what a, what a, what an awful thing for them. Now, obviously, it's much. And all this is in the context of what's happening with the disease is much worse than anything that could happen in sports. I'm not. No, you know, I'm I get not, it. I'm just no. saying. I'm just talking from a sporting sense. Oh, that's what we're talking about. A real shame from, yeah. for them to uh, to to miss out on that. I we, I would I I completely agree. It, you know, and there's no. It's not coincidence that that is the place where they have the the playing games or whatever you want to call them. Uh, yes. The fi- the first four. There's no first no. Four. Yeah. There's there. That's not coincidence there, and it's not coincidence that it seems like every other year Dayton is a, a first round location for the NCAA because they know the <laughs> same thing as as well. I mean, a friend, a mutual friend, uh, you know, Doug Franz uh, um, from Doug and Wolf that you I would always yep. get you on with. His parents uh, are season ticket holders, and oh, he was he was telling me that they were in they were in New York, they were in Brooklyn, they were uh, they were there for the uh, A ten tournament uh, at uh, Barclays Arena, uh, ready to go, and when this whole thing happened, and so talking to him, you know, he's a Dayton guy and and born and raised, and he's just heart the whole fan base is just heartbroken because you know this is something they obviously they're like you, and it's like you know unforeseen circumstances, but. I think that as sports fans and as human beings, we also have to look at it that, you know, we have to grieve as well in, in a different way that it's out of our hands. But, man, what could have been? Oh, absolutely. I, I will tell you that the night that it was canceled, I went from writing a very quick reaction story that the Rutgers game was off uh, and that the tournament was off and then a longer story on the Big Ten because Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, came out and addressed the media uh, with, you know, and, and answered every question that the reporters had relative to the cancellation of the tournament. And then I got done with that, and I was waiting for the NCAA to say what they were going to do. And it, there was a, a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour differential between when most of the conference tournaments were canceled and the NCAA made its announcement. And I thought, well, maybe they're trying to find a way to postpone this thing. And maybe they were. We never really got an answer to that. Um, but they ultimately canceled at about four, four fifteen, four eighteen Eastern time on that Thursday. And so I went ahead and, and wrote about that. And I will tell you that when I finished that article, I was emotional. I mean, I've been doing this for, uh, I think this would have been my 33rd tournament, I think. And my 31st final four. Yeah, that's correct. 33rd tournament, 31st final four, it would have been. And, and it's a big part of my life. I mean, yeah. one of the things that in, in March, I mean, I basically work every day from New Year's Day uh, until the end of the Final Four. I basically work every day, seven days a week and long days. And it's not, you know, I, look, it, I'm not digging ditches or, you know, mining coal or anything, but it, they, the hours are long. And when you get to March, you're pretty tired, but what gets you going and what keeps you going are the games and the excitement of the tournament and the excitement of the brackets and the excitement of teams, you know, advancing and, and, and being thrilled about that and just being locked in a gym for, you know, at the big 10 tournament for all day, Thursday and all day Friday and all the games are great. And then the same thing the following week at the first round of the tournament and all those, all those things, you know, give you so much adrenaline. And it just just feeds on itself. And it's like a momentum engine. It keeps going all the way through the month. 
And so when I got to the end of writing that article, I mean, there was there was that it was both a disappointment, but also that crash of adrenaline that just leaves your body because, you know, there aren't any more games. Yeah. It's almost like you're going through the grieving process, the, the seven steps of grieving or whatever. It's where it's denial and then it comes to acceptance. And I think we're all kind of feeling that. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I like I said, I was I was really emotional about it, and I got emotional in an in a in an interview that I do for an Indiana uh, podcast that I do every week. Uh, you know, because I was talking about uh, some of the players that mm-hmm. you know that I'd gotten uh, accustomed to watching uh, by by covering their games on the Big Ten Network and and how badly I felt for them. And you know, I I, I obviously I understand that this absolutely had to happen and. And although I did hold out hope that they might postpone, I, it was always a like, like just to keep a, like a five to ten percent chance alive that it might happen. You know, I never really believed that it was likely to happen in a postponement scenario, but I'd hoped at the at the beginning to keep alive. Listen, that, that's that one chance if we get lucky and this thing got all locked down by whenever mm-hmm. that we could go back and do it. And I I understand why that was implausible. I understood it was implausible. Uh, but I'd, ho- I'd, I'd, I'd hoped for that, uh, and I understood there were probably in some insurance con- considerations and, and situations like that, that made it unlikely that a, that a postponement could then be, you know, uh, could be, uh, turned into an actual tournament happening. But I, I'd, I'd hope that, that they might just keep it alive in a way that, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the NHL or the NBA or when Major League Baseball is going to start, or Major League Soccer. Uh, but at least we still don't have any sort of finality that says, oh, it's over. I mean, that, 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 how, how, it, would be, it would be really disappointing. And, and, you know, for those of us who follow the NHL, which I do, um, to lose that season. Uh, those of us who follow the England's Premier League, to, to, for that to end rather than, you know, continue. I, I don't know what's going to happen in any of those scenarios. And I, and I, I don't appreciate people who pretend that they do. I mean, because no one knows, and even you know, even the scientists don't know when it's going to all, you know, when we're going to be able to return to real life, so to speak. I think that's the biggest problem is that it's all it's there's there's it's it's all unknown, and you know, it's, I think it as, as human beings, I think that um, it, it it a lot of people handle it different ways. People get really scared. People get frantic. You know, so I think that. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the big unknown. I think is is the biggest problem is is we're in a tunnel and we don't see the we don't see the the end of it. We don't see daylight yeah, at all. But it, but rather than make up uh, imaginary trains coming the other way, <laughs> I, I think it's better to just keep moving along and doing yeah. the smart things and and hoping that it's it's working to the extent that we will be able to get back to to real life at a, at a reasonable amount of time. So when the Big Ten tournament was canceled. Talk me through what you what you experienced, what you saw if you were in an airplane after this whole thing and, and everything was coming undone and, and basically life as we know it was was kind of been, you know, reformed to what we are now, self quarantined. Well, you know, one of the disappointments of this march being canceled, one of the very small disappointments was that I was gonna end up spending most of the month at home anyway. I mean, ordinarily in March, I'm away out of 31 days. I'm probably away 20, anywhere between 22 and 24 of them, usually closer to around 22. Depends on how the 
Saturdays fall and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm usually gone for a good 75 to 80 percent of the month. This this year, when I got on that plane from Chicago, uh, the night the the night the morning after uh, the Rudy Gobert diagnosis and all of that, I was flying home to Indianapolis because that's where the Big Ten tournament was uh, was going to be and and was for the one night that it actually happened. And so I was I, I went to Chicago that morning on the Wednesday. Uh, did the TV that night, uh, the, the studio in Chicago, and then I got back on the plane, flew back, and then went you know, in my car, not a rental or whatever, over to Banker's Life. So when I got done with that quick Rutgers story, um, I just I, – I believe at that point I just jumped in a car and headed home and wrote the, the full news story of, uh, of Kevin Warren uh, in his press conference at home in my, in my mm-hmm. home office. So I haven't had to be on a plane since that mm, morning. Okay. So you know, it, it, as as I was going up to Chicago, I, I do the studio uh, every weekend during the the Big Ten regular season, and as I was going up, I mean the pack the planes were still pretty well packed up until maybe the last my last weekend date, and then that Wednesday date. Then they started to look a little bit more sparse. You saw more people in in masks, mm-hmm. uh, than, than you had before. Um, you know, I, those last few trips, I started to become more cautious and take with me the, the sanitizing wipes and wipe down my chair and wipe down the armrests and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was much more cautious on those than I ordinarily am. And so then I, I just came home and, and since that day, since that Thursday, uh, the day that the big 10 tournament ceased i've only been out of my house to make i think two trips to the grocery store uh one to a bank drive through one to a drug uh, the same on the same trip went to a drugstore drive through and and i think my wife and i um uh went uh, made a run uh to a chipotle drive through uh, <laughs> and that's and that's Gotta been it chipotle I mean, yeah yeah <laughs> i miss it um, yeah yeah. And so, yeah, so that's been it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've just been at home. Now, you know, it's it, ordinarily in April, May, June, you know, I, I, all these all these stories I've read about how to survive working from home and all that. Ordinarily, May, uh, June, July, July a little bit less, but uh, April, May, June, I don't leave my house that much anyway. I mean, I might go to dinner more and stuff like that, but I work uh, at home, so I'm used to being you know, being and working at home. It's not, that's nothing new for me. I've been doing it for well over 20 years. Uh, but it, it, you know, the idea that everyone's at home and my wife is at home doing her job and, uh, you know, that's all, you know, obviously much different than anyone's accustomed to. Yeah. I would agree with you on that one. It's been uh, interesting in, in my family as well. Um, because uh, my wife works from home anyways, uh, so it's not a big deal. But the biggest part is just um, you before you never thought about leaving the house. It was just one of those things you just kind of did. Now you're right. like, all right, do I have the hand sanitizer with me? Do I have the wipes with me? Um, you know, do I have? Um, am I prepared? It's it's like a whole different thing, and we're doing a lot of you know groceries and. Uh, a lot of uh, um, Amazon. <laughs> I'm contributing to the uh, to my Seattle economy with uh, am- lots of Amazon purchases. Um, right. You know, just getting stuff delivered. 
Uh, a lot of it, uh, my wife has a compromised immune system, so we have to be careful as well just because oh, of that. Oh, very careful. So, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I completely get where you're coming from on that. So let's, let's say that, let's not take the bracket or anything into it. Who are the four teams that you thought had the best chance of making the uh, Final Four? You know, I think Kansas uh, would be first, and, and I think their region would have been would have been ideal for them. They, they were very smart about um, how they approached the tournament. Uh, the customary thing is to go to the nearest geographic region, and they looked at it and they said, you know, if we go to if we go to if we choose to go to Indianapolis, which uh, will would be uh, you know, I think it, it's still not close, but it's the closest that to to where Lawrence is. Uh, it's at least, I believe, 300 miles closer, 200 some, 300 miles closer than Houston is. But if they came to Indy, there it was almost, you know, I'm not certain, but almost, uh, you know, almost a given that they would have wound up facing a team that had a, a significant geographic edge over them. Let's say a Michigan State. It's only it's only about four hours or so from from Lansing uh, to to Indy uh, or uh, in, uh, Louisville, uh, which is two hours or Lexington, which is three and a half. And it doesn't matter how many hours that is. I mean, the whole state would have been here. And so all those all those programs would have been close. And then and, and also there's the possibility of Butler, which although Butler doesn't have an incredible number numerical following, it has a nice size following in Indy. Uh, the fact that that they would have been here, they, they when they were here in the Final Four, they got completely adopted by the city. It was as if the Colts were playing. Really? So, uh, oh, I mean, gosh, well, I, I I remember because when it when it when they made the Final Four, I thought, well, they I know how big their following is. I've been to games at Hinkle, I and mean, it's not that big. And, uh, but the entire town adopted them, and there were when they played Duke in the in the championship game, there were probably sixty thousand people wearing Butler blue. It, <laughs> So uh, it, 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 there was a, that was another team that could have had a significant advantage over Kansas. So they said, "No, we're, we're if we if we're the number one overall seed, we want to be in the South. We want to be in Houston. We got a lot of alums there. Uh, we, we we'd like to be there." And so I think that would have been a much more advantageous situation for them. And so I think that they would have gotten to the Final Four. I think Gonzaga would have been in great shape to get there. A great offensive team. They would have been in the West. Their number two seed would have been San Diego State, a, a very fine team and a terrific defensive team, but struggled to make baskets sometimes. And I think they would have had a hard time keeping up with the Zags. I think uh, probably Dayton would have been the number one seed in the East. I'm not exactly sure, obviously, who would have been there with them. Uh, but I think that I, I think Villanova would uh, had a good chance of being there. And I think they would have had a great chance of upsetting Dayton because uh, they shoot the basketball so well. And they had guys who could, who could deal with Toppin physically to an extent, uh, Obi Toppin, the, the all America player for the, for the flyers uh, could have dealt with him to an extent. And so I think that that would have been, uh, I think that would have been a, a nice advantageous situation uh, for 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 Villanova and then here in the in Indy oh actually I I, sh I should apologize I think Dayton would have been here in Indy and I think that I think Kentucky would have ultimately taken them out of here and then I do think Villanova would have been seated in the in the east either a two or a three 
and I think that they would have gotten out of there. So I'm going to say Villanova, Kentucky, Kansas, and Gonzaga. So speaking of Gonzaga, um, I was just thinking about this. Um, when we first started talking, you know, over 20 years ago, I remember the first time that they, they made their run with Dan Munson. And people cannot pronounce it right. And being from the state of Washington, I'm like, yeah, I remember in college, I did some, uh, it's so funny because uh, I did uh, one of my best friends, uh, brother was a, a big time producer for a local uh, cable company for Fox Sports Northwest. And he, my, uh, my best friend was doing graphics and he had me drive up to Gonzaga and do some games with him, help him out. And I remember, um, and I can't remember the guy's first name. The last name was Fitzgerald, and he was the guy right before Dan Munson was going to take over. Yes, he, Dan Fitzgerald. Dan yes. Fitzgerald, and he had been there for like twenty years. And they had this whole thing about, they had this whole going away for him, and they made it, <laughs> they made it, they, they 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 treated it like it was Dean Smith was retiring or something like that. <laughs> and and I think the court's named after him. And it's amazing from that point forward where the the entire program is because I think he made one tournament like the end of his uh, end of his tenure uh, and, uh, and even then people were, were mispronouncing it and they still do but I mean for a, a for a school in in eastern Washington a small Jesuit university in eastern Washington to have a weird name to now going you know where you just kind of offhanded just said oh yeah you know Gonzaga they have a good chance to make the final four I mean, 20 years ago, you would have been, you know, people would have thought you were crazy. It's, a, I mean, have you ever seen anything in, in covering college basketball, the growth and, and just the rise of something like a Gonzaga? Well, I think it, it, their story is unique. It's, there's really never been anything like it. We've seen team programs that grew up and grew into something special and ultimately became, a, uh, like Xavier uh, grew from, you know, a very fine, uh, successful Catholic school in Cincinnati in the 50s. Uh, and they, they ultimately became sort of a, they, they joined a mid-major league uh, sometime in the 70s, the, what was then called the Midwestern Collegiate Conference, and it's now the Horizon League. And, and they grew from that to the Atlantic 10 and now to the Big East. But Gonzaga has been able to do it at an even higher level without ever changing conferences, basically on the force of one coach, coach's vision. And I can tell you that I was, I got to know Mark Few very early in his tenure. I, I went out at one point and played in his golf tournament. That was, his, and it's hard for me to believe I me. Mean, that was 2003. He'd, he'd only taken over as coach in the 1999, 2000 yeah. season. And he'd already established himself as someone who was special, even at that, at that early stage you could tell that that he was special and but being able to keep them at the level they've been uh, over the course of those basically 20 years without ever having to change conferences in a relatively remote geographic location in the US not the most remote but relatively um and to be able to continue to do that has been astonishing and I don't know you know this would have been a great chance for Mark to get back to the final four and maybe win it uh, I don't know uh, if, you know, whether he'll win a championship there or not. I wouldn't say I would certainly not put it past him. Uh, but uh, I, I at some point he's got to go in the Hall of Fame. I and mean, what he's done is one of the most amazing things any coach has ever done. And it's and it's and if you think about it, what would have happened if Dan Munson said, no, nah, I'm good. Where, where would Mark Few have gone? That's I mean, you know, the what ifs of the world. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, that's 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 the way. Oregon, maybe. I, I mean, mean I, yeah, he's I, an Oregon know, guy. He, yeah, I mean, but you know, Gonzaga would have had to achieve a lot um, to for for Oregon to give him a call. Uh, you know, and, and we've seen hot hot you know up and coming, rising, yeah, of assistants get head coaching jobs uh, in in other circumstances, but you know, Gonzaga would have had to have been. Uh, you know, and I think they would have uh, because they had a really fine team and, and they had, uh, you know, Dan was an excellent coach, is an excellent coach as well. Uh, but uh, I think Mark's vision of, of what that could become was much grander than anyone's. I mean, Dan thought, hey, they're going to pay me a lot of money to coach in Minnesota. I should go coach in Minnesota. That's exactly. what, what coaches in my position do, which it, it was like 99.9999% of coaches. He said, you know, I, I'm going to climb the ladder. And Mark said, you know what, I kind of like where I am. Let's try to make this big and and keep it big, and I can stay living where I live and uh, having the life that I want to have. And so he's been able to raise his kids in Spokane, which is what he wanted. He's been able to go off fly fishing when he when the mood strikes him and, the, and, the, and there's time to do it, and he, and he does. Uh, you know, I, I, when I went on that golf tournament, um, is that the quarter lane? Was it the fl- with it, the floating green? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was the first hole we played. Yes. Way, and That's an amazing I, place. I yes. I did not hit that stupid green. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe I would have if I'd had a little practice, but that was it was a scramble, and that was the first. Hole oh, of lane. course. Yeah. Let's throw you at yes. the let's start the course. You at the floating green there. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, he t- he took me up. This was, this was very like I said very early and. He showed me this plot of land that he bought and he was going to build a house on. And he built a lovely home on it that I got to visit a few years after that. Uh, and, and you know, what he paid for for the for the multiple, I think it was like six acres, 12 acres, 20 acres, whatever it was, went all the way down the hillside to, to some creek. Uh, and whatever, it, it, it costs as, as much as a lot in any of the sur- suburbs where I've lived. You know, it just was, you know, that that was Spokane. And so it's, it was the perfect place for him. And and he's been able to build that into uh, something like we've never seen. And I don't and I, over the course of those 20 years, I've seen so many programs say we're going to be the next Gonzaga. Yeah. And I, I'm like, you don't understand. There isn't going to be a next Gonzaga. You can get good and you can you know be you can be successful, but you're never going to be what they are because everything for one, they have Mark. For two, the, the 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 I talked about the remote geographic location. It helps them in a lot of ways uh, because there aren't as many there aren't as many schools to compete with. Okay, so a couple more. I can, I'm uh, taking a lot of your time, and I appreciate it. My coach, Washington State, Kyle Smith. What are your thoughts on on him? I, I like I like what he's done in his past. I think he's you know he he's been very successful. Uh, you know, very bright in the way he's done things, uh, you know, all the way up the ladder. Again, you talk about climbing the ladder. He's he's been smart about uh, about the, the circumstances he's been in and, and, and being able to put successful teams on the feet on the floor. Excuse me. Uh, he did a great job at San Francisco. Uh, very impressive. Again, in, in a league that uh, is absolutely dominated by by Gonzaga and that, you know, as well as St. Mary's beyond that and where BYU has unlimited resources, you know, he's, he was able to build a really successful uh, 
a really successful team. And, and I, and so I, I was, I was very impressed by that. And, you know, I kind of like some of the, you know, I, sometimes I pay attention to uh, who do coaches hire hmm. when they, you know, as, as, as their staff member, who do they hire when they get in position? And he hired a guy who I've known for a very long time, uh, Jim Shaw, who worked as, as, uh, as a assistant for Kelvin Sampson at Oklahoma. He was an assistant for Lorenzo Romar and was really successful for him, uh, in, in helping him build a, a tremendously successful program at Washington uh, and then Lorenzo made some staff changes. Things didn't go so well. No, it did Lorenzo, not. <laughs> after Lorenzo decided Jim Shaw didn't need to be on his staff anymore. Hmm. Jim then went to uh, a, a Division II school in Western Oregon that was not extremely well-funded. They didn't have a full complement of scholarships that the, the, the D2 allows you to have. Um, and he still won his league a bunch of times and made the national tournament and was really successful. And Kyle hired him. Kyle hired him, and um, and that you know that said a lot to me. That said to me that he was he, that he had an awareness of what needed to be done. Here are some quarantine questions for you. Self quarantine questions. What have you been doing with your free time? Well, you know, I haven't had that much. Oh, really? I mean, been, I'm still working. You know, yeah. I really am. I'm, okay. I'm still working, uh, and and still. You know, one of the things that I've been working on has been a series of stories about games that I missed in the NCAA tournament when they were originally played. Oh, because going of this back. reason or that yeah. reason. And so, like, uh, I like the one I just produced, and it's on on uh, SportingNews.com now and on my Twitter feed okay. at TSN Mike, uh, is about the Ohio State Kentucky game of 2011. I I was I was. Uh, at the New Orleans site that year uh, because I usually tried to be at a Thursday, Saturday regional because I had so many obligations for Sunday for the magazine and other elements. So I wanted to be back home, watch the games, then get to work on all that stuff. And so I went to New Orleans that year and the, the Kentucky, the, the uh, East region got completely stacked, absurdly stacked with Ohio State, North Carolina, and Kentucky, uh, three three of the top ten. They're three of the top seven teams in the RPI that year, and it just made no sense at all that they were <laughs> that they were all sent in the same place. So, Ohio State is the one overall seed played uh, Kentucky in the Sweet 16, and in New Orleans, I was working on a video package with a video partner we had at Sporting News then, and. Stuff got gummed up. I don't know what happened, but we were wound up outside the New Orleans arena waiting around to shoot it for a long time, way longer than I'd hoped. Yeah. And so I missed almost that. I missed all, I missed pretty much every game that occurred that night <laughs> oh, no. and made it back maybe for the last three minutes or so of the Kentucky-Ohio uh, State game. And so I went back and rewatched that game. And I will tell you, it is a magnificent basketball game. Yeah. There were 14 lead changes in the second half alone. Wow. 14. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, so that's so I did a story about that that's up on sportingnews.com now. And I've been working on some other, uh, some other uh, projects. Uh, I'm going to uh, rank the 64 best players of the 64 team 
NCAA tournament era. Wow. Uh, so that's going to come up in a little while. And I've got a few other things uh, in the works that I've been working on. And, you know, and so we've been watching television. Uh, what are you watching? Uh, well, we we finally for uh, it, this is going to sound because when I told uh, I told Teddy Greenstein <laughs> Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune mm-hmm. that I didn't have Amazon Prime, and he thought like <laughs> like what planet did you just land off? Are you, you speaking know? Spanish? What are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He thought I was nuts. So we finally <laughs> broke down the other day. So we started watching the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I love that show. show. Yeah, yeah, my wife really and I watched that all the time. So now you can get the uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, two-day delivery now too yes i guess so yes. yeah we finally we finally broke down on that my wife was welcome to the 21st there. century mike i know how about that <laughs> yeah so i yeah you're gonna love uh how, how many episodes you got into uh marvelous Just Maisel? A couple. okay Just two so far it gets better i think the second season's even better so wow yeah so i i highly recommend that have you or your wife had any impulse uh, pandemic purchases anything out there <laughs> No, uh, I did. Um, you know, it's funny because I my wife bought me this great pair of Nike sweatpants for Christmas, um, and they it, they fit great. And finding finding a good sweatpant fit for me is hard because I'm only five eight, and these ones fit great. So uh, it it seems like I bought them because I'm wearing sweatpants all the time now, <laughs> which may be somewhat true. But I I did buy a couple more pairs of sweatpants that i hope are similar to or identical to those i'm hoping they're the same we we're, we're not 100 percent sure but uh that's that's the only thing i've bought uh since um since these things started so you kind of plugged your twitter account anything you want to plug uh here at the end yeah just you know i, I i'm still very active on twitter uh you know trying to mostly spread that's very the, 21st uh, century yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been disappointed that you know we don't have any games to argue about. So <laughs> you don't have a you, know, so, you don't have a committee to to be mad at either, because I remember getting you on every year, uh, every time I get a chance to get you on, especially when when I got you on with Doug and Wolf, you and Doug would just go at go at the committee. It was it was just a, a riot fest every year. Yeah, you know, I would have it would have been interesting because this year, of course, doing the brackets for yeah. It would have had, uh, you know, maybe I would have said, hey, they got everything right because they had all my teams in all the right places. Who knows, right? Yeah. In my first year doing that, <laughs> I did. I was proud that when the consensus bracket came out from the bracket matrix, mm-hmm. uh, which amalgamates uh, something like 90 online brackets, now, obviously the Joe Lenardi's and Jerry Palms, mm-hmm. you know, some of the, uh, the sporting news one that Ryan Fagan does mine and then a lot of others some that are very heavy on analytics but they're about when they amalgamated all of them i had every single team that they had which i was pretty excited about that is hey not bad something to look forward to for uh season two yes so i say that that, the good thing is i managed to get through a whole season of doing the brackets and and no one could ever say boy he wasn't very good at that (laughs) because there is there is that on the scoreboard scoreboard well, right. hey, I can't thank you enough for doing this uh, and, and be agreeing to be one of my first interviews for this uh, experiment of mine of doing my own podcast. I never thought I would, but I guess it took a pandemic to do it. So hopefully we'll see where it goes. So I appreciate well, good luck with it. Thank you. It works out great. Thank you. I, I, mean, pre- I appreciate it. it um, I hope you're able to continue it beyond the pandemic is what I'm saying. <laughs>
thanks to Mike for coming on the show and speaking with me. I will have another conversation coming up soon, hopefully, once uh, people get back to me and I figure out which numbers still work and which ones do not. Once again, you can follow us on Instagram, the IG, Pod. That's S-E-L-F-Q-U-A-R-A-N-T-I-N-E-D-P-O-D. And Twitter, Pod. Or if you'd like to email with any questions about the show or about Fusha Media, or if you like to advertise, which I would gladly accept, or if you are a company that would like to start a podcast, you can reach me, Ryan at FushaMedia.com, and that's Ryan at F-O-O-S-H-A-W-M-E-D-I-A.com. With that being said, my name is Ryan Lindsay, and I am self-quarantined. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon.